Camp trip is an interesting word. Yeah? Why is it? I can, I could stop for my age. No, carry on. I want to know. And I want it recorded forever. (laughs) Fuck. Did you realize you started? Um, Many words you can trace like the epitomology of, right? Mm. You can generally tell where they came from. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah. But what is is fucking culture for? Yeah, it sounds like like cuttle cuttle props. Yeah, like that's honestly what I thought as well. And I guess there's like drop in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. But like when it's a triangle. Drop. Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe it's a borrowed word. I suppose the trop comes from, like, like trapezium. Mm. Interesting. Maybe. Also, try, like, as in three-pointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not yeah. three-pointed, but they're pyramidical. The, yeah. the cow, though, I'm not sure. That's why I feel like it might be a borrowed word, because often yeah. words like that are borrowed words. Oh. I mean, where do cow trops come from, originally? Like, yeah. Mm. Well, they often, like, they're metallic, obviously, right? Yeah. So they come from the more modern era. Where metal workers are the same. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean... Also, they don't seem that effective, so I wonder if they're maybe more of a made-up thing. Hmm. Or, like, you know, some guy somewhere made a Keltron. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, and it shows up in the or, movie But somewhere. it's also kind of a, like, a smaller version of, like, defensive equipment, right? Hmm. So, like, you hmm. dig your trench, you've then got the, like, big yes. old cross, like, spikes and stuff, and then you've got your palisade walls yeah, that, like, and then just would pull out a handful of Keltrops and... Yeah, <laughs> I've fallen down a hole and I can't get out. And also, yeah. it's, also, it's really spiky. <laughs> They're very useful in Pokemon too. You know, opening o- opening moves. You always place kettle drops in like oh, all competitive yeah. matches. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Station Five in-flight entertainment. Uh, I'm here today with Aaron, hey. and Jackson, Hello. and I'm Lewis. <laughs> Uh, and today we're going to talk about game mechanics. Oh god. <laughs> so, the first thing I want to talk about game mechanics is Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. What? Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so if I'm going off topic too early, stop me now. <laughs> but she does a scene with Tarkin, and she instantly slips into a British accent. Really? Yeah, and it's so bloody impossible when oh. someone's doing an accent to not slightly copy their accent. Yeah, she just like, yeah, does that thing where she picks up on. Yeah, yeah. Because like, reading lines with someone in a play once and just instantly talk on their accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like that's that's like a very like classic like seventies eighties film English yes. accent too. Yes. So it's like, <laughs> like. Just, so yeah, like, when I was answering, I'm like, okay, i got to not do it in an accent. Yes. Not in an accent. <laughs> Hello there, princess. <laughs> <laughs> that actually leads into the fact that uh, some people, when they absorb uh, English information and, and how people speak in order to do words, they go into accents when they bring up that information. So that's how some people develop an accent, even if they're like... Like, definitely. Yeah, yeah. like how you have Australians with American accent be like, I pronounce gas, for example. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tis- Gasoline. Yeah. Or... Gasoline. Petroleum. <laughs> when I, I just think of, like, Mad Max now when someone says gasoline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, like, gasoline. Shiny and chrome. Yes. <laughs> Witness me. <laughs> but, like, Other memes are available. <laughs> like, I, I play plenty of D&D, right? Each one of my characters has an accent of some description, right? And I just have, like, a phrase for each one that, like, gets oh, me into yeah. it. Like you, you, like, you have to have an accent. Is one of them Cheeky like Breaky? A, no, it's not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> cheeky Breaky? 
It's differently. It's, good it's hello. <laughs> That's better. I feel like every one of them is just hello in a different way. Hello there. Alright there, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Let's move on to some mechanics in games. Yeah, we should probably actually talk about something relevant. Yeah. But I mean, like, it is a nice mechanic. Um, did, did we want to move on to... <laughs> Do we want to move on to um, unfolding mechanics, like with Cultist Simulator? Oh, we're starting with a big one, are we? Um, okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> may as well may as well start the game running. Uh, sure. Um, would you like to start? Or yeah. do you yeah, like yeah, to sure. introduce unfolding mechanics? Sure. So, for those of you who have not played Cultist Simulator, uh, it is a game about unfolding the mystery of running your own um, HP Lovecraft cult. And going about managing that in the 1930s without being caught by uh, cops and trying to manage your job and depression and, uh, you know, general work life and money flow. Mm. Paying rent on time while also dreaming about monsters. You know, all, all, the, all the good cult stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The classics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stabbing people. Paying your rent. <laughs> <laughs> Summoning Cthulhu. Um, but yeah, a lot of that game is... A lot of that game is... Uh, unfolding a bit like the elemental uh, combination games you used to play back at high school yeah. where you would unfold yeah. what would happen next. It's a good example of that. And like, in the same vein, I would say that both of those types of games are very like, light unfolding games, right? Yeah, there's still direction. Well, and... it's, the main thing is that you just discover more of the same game mechanic. Hmm. So one of the most interesting unfolding games I've ever played is... I literally have no idea of its name. It's a, it's a browser game. Okay. And you start... It's, I think it's like... It starts as like a cookie-clicker game, right? You're like, right. click, click, click. And then it like becomes a small text-based adventure. You're like walking around a house type of thing. And then it comes up with like a UI. And suddenly this, up to this point, completely text-based game now has like a map. And you're walking around a map by clicking oh, on wow. it. And then as you like click a certain... Like you get to a certain place, it becomes like a... 3D game and suddenly you're like moving characters in like an Age of Empires style. So it's like you're developing the game as it goes yeah, while you play it? it's almost like it's uh, unfolding as you play it. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of like that Inception type like this game within a game within a game yeah. type thing but it's the same game. Yeah. And it, it has a similar feel to it that um legacy games have like you know betrayal legacy which is like yeah, okay. part of the coolness of the game is the um newness of it yeah, yeah absolutely i got to play through um betrayal legacy as well and that's something that i really enjoyed you know every couple of like mm. levels i guess scenarios yeah. you get a new uh rule and you get to like stick it in the rule yes. book and you know, like, get bits out of the box, and it's yeah, like, and what does this do now? I think that's similar to the, um, the same thing called the simulator, where that's, like, unfolding light, you just get more of the same, but yeah. it's still, like, such an interesting thing. Yeah, um, when it comes to Betrayal on the, the Betrayal Legacy, uh, having that unfold, um, every part of that segment works, and then also you see that happen a lot when you're doing Cultist Simulator, where you have to go and unfold, like, you have to learn a language, and then you have to decipher a book and under unfold all the lore to then use okay. that lore in a weaponizing way. And I feel yeah, like right. you have that natural progression like you see in those type of board games as well. And mm. one common thread I've found between Cult Simulator and these unfolding games mm. is they almost never have a tutorial. 
Because they start off so simple, you don't need one. It's like, click yes. this button. Yeah. Click this button. Decide if you want to go left and right. Go to and, work. Yeah. And hey, it just, just, over time... It, it tutorializes you just by playing the game. Yeah, mm. but at the same time, it feels like it's a natural discovery process. Like, it actually... It, it doesn't teach you enough to be a tutorial. Like, there's still a lot of mystery that you need to discover there. But it's still... The game mechanics are simple enough that you also don't need a flight manual to play it, right? I mean, yeah, it's Cult of Simulator. Sometimes you need a flight manual to figure out like what you're doing to some degree, but... Gosh. The flip side of that, as fun as it is to have that happen, I sometimes wonder if games like that are sometimes too based on their uh, newness. Like, I'm playing through Arkham Horror, the card game at the moment, right? Yeah. And part of the fun of that is playing a new scenario each time. And the same thing with Legacy, it's like getting a new rule each time. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder how well the game, like it sometimes feels cheap in the sense that one of the biggest enjoyment points is new things. I get the same thing, you know, from Gloomhaven as mm, well, mm. you know, and that's like, it's Legacy-esque, but the the thing that keeps it good is the new scenarios that you unlock yeah. over months and months. Um, and then like working through your personal goals to unlock new characters. Well, something you just said there is really key to kind of how I've fallen on it myself is months and months. Yeah. Because I think it feels bad because it doesn't feel sustainable. Like, eventually this game's going to run out of new things to throw at Yeah, me. absolutely. But as far as I'm concerned, if it takes months and months... I mean, that's plenty of time to be... That's more than be... I play most games for. Exactly. Yeah. It's plenty of time to be playing. Yeah. You know, but then, like... With physical games, you know, there's always room for more expansions, yeah, yeah, totally. different characters to play, you know. And with Haunted House, uh, like the Betrayal Legacy. <laughs> okay, so no, yeah. I think one of the best things that Betrayal Legacy did was cut off all the words on its title. Like, yeah. The, yeah. the main game is like, Betrayal Legacy, House on the Haunted Hill of the Hill of the Haunted. Yeah. Whereas it's just Betrayal <laughs> Legacy. Yeah. Whereas... Betrayal at the House on the Hill? Yeah. Is that, is that it? what is it's it, called? It, I swear Betray- it has more words. But it's like, Betrayal at House on the Hill? Yeah. It's like, it, there's like some and missing, like, because it was made originally in like, German. Or oh, like, of course, right. It's like, Austrian German or something like that. You also like just always want to put more words in there? Like, yeah, Betrayal at the House, house on, on the, the Hill. Haunted Hill. And there's a hill, and it's haunted, and there's a house. <laughs> but are you and sure? And you might be betrayed. And it's really? The end of a lane as well, probably. Maybe there might yeah. be a forest. Elm Street, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's nice that those games also have the the ending end game to some degree in terms of how yeah. they do that. And how I mean, they... Betrayal Legacy had a super end game. <laughs> Does it? Yeah, you just talk about having the game to play at the end, or is there actually an end game that you're? Uh, no, but there there is an end game in terms of playing the legacy section, and then oh, once yeah. you're done with that, you have the base yeah, game yeah, to then yeah. play. Yeah, which what... was is a great end game. <laughs> what I also find interesting though is um, trying to figure out how each individual game that uh, has that unpacking uh, ability um, continues after the initial uh, mystery's gone. So like uh, Arkham Horror has their return arm packs which like mix things up and I wonder how sustainable that'll be when you go back and play them well the, that's like I think the months and month thing is like sorry to return to that but yeah. uh, again I think the psychological aspect of it is way more impactful than the actual limited aspect of it mm. like I could go and play a game like WoW which has infinite combat uh, infinite content that you just repeat it right yes. and I'll play that and not feel bad about it and play it for like a couple of days. Yeah. Or play a game like 
um, what's the game that you use? Gloomhaven. Yeah. And play it for months and months, but always be like, oh, but what if I run out of content? And it's, it yeah. just feels silly when you put it in those And games. I mean, like, I know for a fact that I'm going to be playing Gloomhaven for, like, in excess of a year, right? Be- mm. Just because of how much content is in there. There's, like, 80-something scenarios, and each scenario takes, like, two hours to play through, right? The more I talk about Gloomhaven, the more I'm sad that this box isn't Gloomhaven. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on top of Mad Mage being like, mm. <laughs> Um, But then, I like, not that long ago, there was an expansion released for Gloomhaven, <laughs> so, like, it's going to go even further. Yes. Um, but then going to the, to the like, WoW-style content, that, that, that you mentioned. Like, I, I played the Division 2, which yeah. is made by Ubisoft, uh, which is like a third-person tactical shooter, right? That is the epitome of repeating content. Yeah. It's slightly different each time, but it's repeating content, right? So I've gone through and I've, like, done the original set of Strongholds, and then it resets the world, and then you go do the Strongholds again. And it resets. So, and you do the strongholds again. <laughs> so I actually have to like dog myself and say I'm actually a sucker for any short session repeating type gameplay. Mm. Like I love Monster Hunter. I love mm. doing dungeons and WoW. I like doing any of that kind of like short 20 yeah. minute I mean, like, group content even. That mechanic mm. is not bad. Yeah. It's not inherently bad. It's just not for everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, um, and it certainly doesn't bother me that that's what The Division 2 is doing, because it means that the game's longevity is there, you know? That's why, like, uh, Into the Breach was a really good game for you, because it was that 20-minute... Well, it, it honestly took too long, I would uh, argue. Okay. Like, I know when I've been playing it recently, because, as a side note, you can either do all four islands, mm. or after you do two islands, you can go to the final mission. Yeah. And I always do that, right? Yeah. And yeah, I honestly find that game almost too long. Okay. Um... Talking about like whether or not you want that repeating experience or whether or not you want a longer experience that mm. runs out, um, it brings into uh, how road rogue like mm. road rogue light and road rogue like games rogue light. Thank you. Oh, wait, no, rogue light. Rogue light and rogue like. It's been said so many times. I don't know what it even means yeah. anymore. Um, <laughs> So, uh, it, it plays into whether or not those games uh, strengthen that cycle or hamper it, in some yeah. cases, I've found. So, there are some games, Sunless Sea, of course, which I'm going to have to talk about again, uh, is hampered <laughs> by having that repeating permadeath aspect of, um, of roguelike games. Well, if it, is it... Sorry, this is actually just a question. Yeah. Is it roguelite or roguelike in the sense that if you permadeath, do you carry things between the missions? Or between the lines? If you permadeath, you carry almost nothing. Mm. Uh, which is really frustrating because it the means... The key word there is almost, though. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I'm ta- which makes it a road light. I'm, I'm, ta- <laughs> yeah. I'm talking, though, you carry, like, 30 coins with you. Like, not enough that makes any so, so difference. You, you keep your money. You don't, actually. No, you, you don't keep your money. No. You just have, like, you, it goes back to your stuff. Basically. Cause, and, and okay, that's, so it, that's, that's a road light. Yeah. Because it repeats all the stories and on top of that. Small percentage. Yeah, I'm gonna say you keep a small Makes percentage. Makes confused small percentage. face. <laughs> yeah. The the worst thing about that game is though is then when you permadeath, you have to go back and repeat all the stories. But without the permadeath, you wouldn't have the tension of that game. So it kind of like is a bad game mechanic in a game that 
it kind of needs it to be on intense. To, yeah. Which is to interesting. To have the atmosphere to keep it like irrelevant, I guess. Yeah, like yeah. I'm horrified when I go out on the sea because I might die so and have to, to go back to the start. Like at least keep your attention. Yeah. To, to steal from a, a very popular video game commentator, mm. Yahtzee Crossrail said <laughs> about Elite Dangerous, the reason going through space for hours doing nothing is so interesting is because you could be ambushed by a pirate at any minute and lose all your stuff. Yes. Right? Mm. Like, Agreed. It, yeah. it's, it's the whole experience which makes it interesting, not the moment to moment. Mm. And a lot of Sunless Seas is very boring. Yeah. But the fact that at any point in time you could die and lose all your stuff makes it exciting. Yeah. It made Smuggler's Runs terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> any moment I could be impounded and lose all my shit. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, and I'm I'm definitely there on like the the being ambushed and the atmosphere that that creates in like um, Elite Dangerous. I almost said Star Citizen. That's something entirely different. That game that's seven years still in development and nowhere in sight. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was trying to look up on it. I can't find anything. On it. It's because there's nothing on it still. Like basically it's, it's nothing. Like a beta. It's... Uh, it's just, it's, there is stuff. There's just no news yeah. about it. There was news no, recently there's, about there's, it. There's not ever much news outside of the conferences that they yeah. host. Yeah. And the last one that I saw um, was them unveiling like a colony ship. Do we call that a waiting mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> like in those free-to-play games? There's yeah. a cookie clicker. You put in a bunch of money every now and again and get a ship eventually. Yeah. yeah, apparently. I'm, I'm going to buy a spaceship to the moon. I mean the game. I mean the moon. Um. Uh, going back to like roguelikes versus roguelites mm. is... I talked about it, you know, psychology before in the term of like infinite content versus a potentially limited amount of content. Mm. I think psychologically the interesting thing between those two types of games is the feeling of progression, mm. right? Yes. Even in a roguelike game, when you die, you generally make some sort of progression. Yeah. And it could be like nothing at all, but just that feeling of slowly chipping away at the game is pretty important, I find, for... Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, unlocking little bits yeah. and, you know, getting bits of story and lore and... Locke did um, Dead Cells recently, yeah, and he talked did. about that. Um, and I, I see that in that, and Rogue Legacy, for example, have those slowly unlocking mechanics, and mm. they're very, very incremental, but eventually... Yes. They yes. make difference. I mean, people talk about it in negative light. They call it like a Skinner box, right? Mm. Which I don't know if you know what a Skinner box is, but it's an experiment where like, you know, a dog is fed treats every time they push a button. Mm. So they learn to push the button to get treats. And that's a Skinner box because you yeah. get rewards for doing an action. And I kind of get that. Like, oh, it's just psychologically taking advantage of you. But I think in the current era when there's like so much pressure on your time, that if you do something that you feel like you don't make any progress, it just feels inherently kind of bad. Yes, definitely. I mean, some some of us purposely play Skinner Box games and some sometimes just to fill the time when we don't have the, the, the ability to play something more engaging. I mean, I sometimes find myself playing something a bit more simple when I don't feel like doing quantum physics with some sort of game. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yes, space those program. quantum <laughs> physics games are like, oh... 
<laughs> no, but I agree with you there. Like, if I'm not doing much, I just put something on the TV and I got, like, Dream Daddy on my phone. <laughs> I like to call them beer and Doritos games for that reason. Just, like, one you can sit and relax yes, and forget. Like, for sure. Borderlands. Well, I find Borderlands always a bit more involved. Like, for me, the perfect... People like to call them cookie-cleaning games. Like, mm. the idea is just something you can play in the background almost. Yeah. Is there anything I can play with a mouse with one hand? Right? I don't want to have to use the keyboard. Yeah. So, like, the, my current game is um, Dicey Dungeons, because it's very much just like... Yeah, yeah that's like, a totally. really good one. Slay the Spire is a similar thing. A game for yeah. me on that is, like, Civilization Five or Six. <laughs> oh my god, okay. No, but literally, <laughs> I can be, like, watching something yeah. and yeah, sure, sure. playing Civ, because all you need is a mouse. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, mine is probably like it's a very it's a bit heavy. Yeah, it's like I'll start off with a light snack, maybe a Civilization Five, and then go into the main course of like Stellaris or something. Speaking of which, I have to get Stellaris. I mean, it's like, on sale. Like that's that's very much my. I'll just casually play a bit of something, you know, yeah. or that, or like Prison Architect, or mm-hmm. you know, something along those lines where. Steamworld like, like Quest management things. Steamworld Quest actually turned into that, which was a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one's very much like a combination of Slay the Spire and like uh, a proper RPG narrative campaign game. But the moment-to-moment gameplay became very much a, a lax, relax, combined some cards together to win the combat kind of thing. Yeah, hmm. you got yeah. You had to combo um, each character's specific cards in your hand in order to get like additional combinations. So it became managing that card draw that you would have in Slay the Spire in unique and interesting ways because you might want to do more of the the knight in this scenario rather than the healer. Yeah, that's okay. a mechanic of matching those all together in a weird way. Hmm. Did you guys both play Slay the Spire? Yeah. No. no. Oh. Okay. Just because a new character came out recently, but like, did it? Yeah, it's oh. a monk character. So I'll have to play that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've never played it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the mechanics. What were we? Uh, we we're going to talk about stealth mechanics. Yes, stealth <laughs> mechanics. Where do we want to start on stealth mechanics? Um, I mean, we can start with the <laughs> swindle. It's a it's a good option of stealth mechanics in the two D setting, which is always interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the stealth mechanics in the swindle uh, is done in two ways, actually. The first way being is that you have um, robots that walk around and they have this, this field of vision that mm-hmm. they can see. It's a beam of light that goes from yellow and then red if you land in it. Because the yeah, moment okay. you're seen, you spot it. Because um, it's robots, they don't make mistakes. Yeah. Um, and then you have the hearing ones, which is when you jump up on top of like a, 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 um, a building you'll create a sound uh, square that goes around your character. And if the robots happen to hear that sound square by being in that area, then it triggers, uh, like, attack of bees or something like that. Because it's a, it's a whole stealth high scale. Bees! It's a... <laughs> It's a steampunk stealth heist game. What'd you expect? Killer bees? Of course. Definitely. Ah, um, uh, yes. <laughs> that kind of reminds me of, um... What is it? Abe's Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. That has, that, that's that's 2D platformer with some stealth-type distraction mechanics as well. Oh, okay. And that's like old school. <laughs> yeah, real old school. Um, oh, man, I haven't played Abe's Odyssey in like forever. I actually booted it up the other day. Oh, how did that go? Did it still run? Did your computer explode? 
I nearly. Oh. I stopped it very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, like, yeah, those those kinds of like two D stealth mechanics have been a thing for like mm. quite a long mm. time. And it's mm. interesting how that then translates into three D. And I wonder whether or not we have stealth mechanics in better ways in that three yeah. D great space. Well, uh, it's interesting you mention that because I often find that two D. Whether, you know, horizontal or vertical, you know, top-down or side-on, yeah. is generally a better realm for stealth mechanics. Oh, like, okay. Often, like, uh, you mentioned last week Invisible Ink, um, you know, this uh, market and you if you've ever played that, is because I find stealth mechanics are so about, like, area control, like, stay out of this area, go into this area kind of thing. Mm, yeah, definitely. That not having a good ability to move in your space, like... All 3D games kind of are a bit awkward to move around in. Actually, yeah, yeah I, I get where you're coming from there. So, a 3D stealth type game that, that I've been playing recently is um, like Ghost Recon Breakpoint, right? And that has some pretty intense stealth mechanics, right? Um, every for everywhere thing from like dropping down onto your belly and like crawling through spaces, uh, like just generally crouching. But I find that the best crowd control for that in terms of like going into areas it's just like knowing exactly where your enemies are but then just taking them out yeah like there's no incentive for like non-lethal sneaking because mm. uh, you often see 2d top down or side scrolling games where you can only stop yeah like if you're caught you have to restart right yeah yeah, yeah i exactly. don't believe i have ever seen a 3d game Outside of, like, that one level in Harry Potter that I bloody hate. <laughs> yeah, um, there was, there's some of those stealth ones in, like, Sly Raccoon, uh, which is one of the, the forefronts sure, yeah. of um, really good 3D stealth games, yeah. but in saying that, there have been some levels in Sly Raccoon I wanted yeah. to throw my cane across the I mean, road. we have to talk about, like, particularly if we're going for, like, crowd control, like, stealth only, get in, get out type things, we have to talk about Dishonored. And the non-lethal yeah, strategies yeah, that yeah. you can employ there. And I really want to touch on Dishonored because it kind of goes to a point that I was just about to say, which is um, often in 3D games, if stealth is an option, there's either two things that happen. Mm -hmm. One, it's like Slider of or Harry Potter, which is it just gets so bloody annoying. Yes. Mm. Or two, there's a combat option. Yeah. For when you just get frustrated. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that leads into the interesting thing about Dishonored with the morale mechanics, where you basically have to go about whether or not you're stabbing people or sneaking around them, and that affects the game in uh, different ways. Yeah. Infamous was the great example of how morale can affect those mechanics. Mm. Yeah. I found it rather interesting that all of your powers were then built off whether or not you saved people or backstabbed yeah, them. Yeah, or... like the different like, moral choices mm. that you make, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's getting a lot deeper into that kind of thing, but um, have you guys heard of the infamous term ludonarrative dissonance? No. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> That's very... a lot of big words there, Jason. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those phrases that a lot of people just throw around, and basically what it means is if there's ludonarrative dissonance, it's when the mechanics of the game don't gel with the story of the game. Oh, okay. oh, so like if you're supposed to be like like in infamous a great example of a, like a not ludo narrative dissonance is you get different powers depending on if you're good or you're bad right? mm -hmm. and the bad powers are really about just ending people 
like just like, straight up power. Yeah, like you're just yeah. lightning from the sky. <laughs> right? Whereas all of the good powers are like crowd control effects. They like bind people with lightning so you can like yeah, yeah, get yeah. away from them. They're or... like non lethal. You stay there while I run this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like, I love games with stuff like that that put some thought into how their mechanics gel with their story. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and I'm finding that I see those sorts of things less and less, mm. particularly in the games that I play, because it's either just, you know, like, kill these people, stealth around them and kill them, or, you know, that sort of thing. Have a good ending or a bad ending, here you go, hazy cookie. I mean, like, not even changing endings in yeah. a lot of the games that I play. It's, it's very, like, weird always heading this way is just how are you going to get there yeah uh, you know that's that's where the the player choice mm. well, i quite like that from like a personal storytelling mm. standpoint like i talked about it last week with the um non-lethal playthrough of shadow Run hong kong right yeah mm. that didn't actually change the game at all like it was yeah. never mentioned or anything yeah but it was like my character was a pacifist yeah yeah, and yeah that meant exactly. a lot to me exactly and in the games that i played there's a lot of like that customization yeah. like this is the way i went and did this yeah. thing or like this is how i snuck into this place and did this and, thing. and that can play out in your character decisions like for example i played, was playing spider-man recently and i went with a lot of like punchy fighty powers like i was a very fighty spider-man yeah i imagine i actually don't know but i imagine in a lot of games there'd be like a sniper tree right yes. so in your mind if you go down the sniper tree your character is a sneaky efficient character yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, like, that's that's where I'm at with, like, Ghost Recon, for yeah. example, right? I specifically went for the super sniper tree of skills. Yes. And, I mean, there's an, there's, there is an element of ludonarrative dissonance there, right? Like, I imagine, yeah. again, I'm just speculating, but I imagine there's, like, a very aggressive tree in that game. Absolutely. Yeah. Assault and, class. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But that's, like, a sense of ludonarrative dissonance, because you're supposed mm. to be... This ghost recon warrior's quiet, stealthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I bought a shotgun and I'm gonna run in with it. Yes, but the thing is, right? So, so the game, the game is set up for you know the the stealth yeah, parts yeah. of of the the mechanics more so than the, yeah, yeah, you sure. know, firefights and that sort of thing. Well, but, that actually kind of goes back to the stealth thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like. It's designed to be played with, like, four people. So you've got one person who's a sniper, and <laughs> yeah. then another person who's a medic. You've got your, like, super fighter person, and then the super sneaker person. No one will notice if there's nobody to notice. That's the stealth mechanic. <laughs> yeah, and, that, that, and that's basically it, right? You, like, sit in some bushes. And, Just like, murder people. <laughs> no one can see you. <laughs> I mean, that that's going back, going back to the 3D stealth is yeah i find a lot of 3d stealth mechanics are awkward like yeah, everyone yeah. knows the classic meme in like uh skyrim which is like you shoot a guy with the arrow and he's like oh what was that ah it must have been the wind <laughs> just like, arrow sticking out yeah, of him or they're staring right at you and you're like my stealth skill is too high sneak 100 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i find a lot of times first person not first person uh three-dimensional games need to take advantage of that like more mechanical stealth than actual yeah, they, stealth. Yeah, they do a bit. They do a bit. I've seen a lot more of the, like, fluid, yeah. like, stealth. You know, there's, like, uh, particularly, again, in, in, in Ghost Recon, you know, because it's, it's built for stealthing. You know, there are legitimate amounts of foliage and, like, yeah. good amounts of cover and built-up areas and... 
those sorts of things. You move slow enough, you move low enough, well, people walk by you, you carry on, and like there are examples of that stuff in the world, in the wild, in the animal kingdom, you know? An interesting take on that for me is um, multiplayer stealth games. Yes. You know, I play a lot of Dead by Daylight, and any good Dead by Daylight player knows that the game isn't a stealth game. Yes. Like, it's more about <laughs> knowing how to run away from it. Yeah. yeah. But when you're new to the game, and it's quite fun, is you stealth around a lot, you like spend a lot of time trying to find one another, maybe hiding behind the pillar type of thing. Mm. And I find it quite interesting, because that's purely organic stealth right there's no mm. mechanics there's no like you can't see them type of thing it's just pure organic can i see you can't i see you yeah. uh hunt showdown actually has that sort of similar mm. mechanic of should you stealth or should you just run in blazing and you have to kind of make that decision moment to moment because you're having to go around this map with multiple players who are looking to kill you yeah. as well as dealing with zombies and everything else so it's like do you run in and stab a couple people and uh, quickly take a position somewhere else, mm. or do you just run in and grab the the bounty and hope you get out guns blazing and rely yeah. on your pure twitch skill? Um, yeah. But I feel like those organic stealth games are sometimes, I hate to say it, a bit better than the stealth games I sometimes see in Assassin's Creed. Well, yeah, I mean... yeah, well, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I, I like Assassin's Creed, but I don't play it mm. necessarily for its super, like stealth mechanics because they are clunky yeah I, I just thought about something I, I, actually whenever a game has a stealth mechanic I'll generally play into it I quite yeah. enjoy it but what I really enjoy about it and it's not always the case but it's often the case is it presents itself as a puzzle yeah. like it's like you know especially Batman Arkham Asylum is what I'm thinking of specifically yeah exactly like it's, this guy's gonna walk over here yeah. so if I time my batarang like this I can take this guy out like this guy's covering this guy so I gotta take out this guy before that guy yeah exactly and then you use all your vantage points yeah, and yeah. like you'll set up like a claw thing that like grabs at someone and pulls yeah. them to the wall like hmm. and I think that really does inform the whole like way around it thing which is in a 3D game it's harder to do puzzles just generally speaking. Oh, yeah, so definitely. Instead of making the game a puzzle game, it's a puzzle or action game. Whereas in a lot yes. of games like Invisible... Or an action puzzle game. <laughs> yeah. But in a lot of games like Invisible Ink, it can sell itself as just a puzzle game. Yeah. Which yes. is an interesting... Like, I think that's where the real division comes down to. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Huh. Also, <laughs> on a very meta level, um, sure. 3D games cost more to make than 2D games. So yes. they generally have to be more accessible. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they have to be more um, uh, appealing to mass Yeah, I suppose if you get them. like really specific, like 10 people are going to buy it versus 100 people. Which is fine if it's a 2D game and costs you 10 bucks, yeah. but if you spend all that time modeling and animating... Yeah, yeah, but, definitely. I guess and, it's... like hiring people from mocap and yeah. like... <laughs> That'd be to some reason why a lot of us enjoy indie games is because we can look in those specific niches we really enjoy. Oh, like really For specific sure. niches. Yeah. Um, and very much like play those in so much significant detail that we're able to um, enjoy it to the fullest. Like uh, delving into morale mechanics that are in a lot of specific indie games that you wouldn't see in other places. Like Darkest Dungeon, you've got yeah. morale mechanics while dungeoning, which is just something... Yeah, I can't think of many games that would incorporate mm. morale in large amounts outside of the Total War series, Well, yeah, you've right? got um, Total War with and Creative Assembly just, like, modelling 
some semblance of like battle morale you know mm. like all these people are shit scared so we're gonna run away yeah. <laughs> but wait some guy gave them a rousing speech we run back <laughs> you know <laughs> you talked about them being like uh, the differences that are being like health mechanics yeah like a lot of games like Darkest Dungeon you mentioned has mm. very much like a the sanity bar is a blue health bar, right? <laughs> like, it, it, it depletes in different ways, and there's different ways to go about it, but essentially it's just a different health bar. Yeah. But, like, I think the flavour of that is fine enough to make it interesting. Mm. Like, it's, instead of being stabbed, you get spooked. But, <laughs> I know that sounds dumb. Skeleton! Yes. But yeah, like, it, it just feels different. And games are a lot about, like, imagination and how things feel so even if it's mm. you know you can break it down to being oh it's just this very simple thing it's still just interesting yeah yeah and it is interesting i do like um like the secondary health bar almost yeah the the the, the sanity mechanics of like a lot of indie games yeah mm. for sure and it gives you a different way to approach it I, I think i talked about it a while ago i don't know if it was on the podcast or not but um the concept of a battle-ish game, like a conflict game, oh, but instead yeah. of it being around battle, it's around talking. Yes. And yeah. I talked a lot when I was talking to about that, about it not being combat with speech. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it'd be very easy to make a game like that where you're like, I do a witty remark, you deal seven embarrassment to the person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think there's a place in games like that for not being just a, yeah. like another health bar Shakespearean uh, insult simulator yeah. <laughs> one of the strangest mechanics I once saw was in Gladiator actually uh, it's a 2D um, like pixelated art game where you play through Rome as uh, as gladiators and you go through those arenas so you you yourself are a very high noble who hires these gladiators to compete and the mechanic that's really interesting in that is based on the amount of gladiators you then um, uh, release that come to your aid at the end of the game. Huh. Which is like, huh. yeah, like a very unique mechanic. I just didn't think about it. So th at the first, I played it like a traditional nobleman and just focused on winning the game, right? But in right. actuality, I was meant to win the game while balancing morale and, uh, you know, also like human... Sympathy, I suppose. Yeah, okay. So it was just like a very interesting mechanic I've never seen again where you have to... Because, you know, they didn't tell you about it. I had to look it up after that. Like, I was just surprised. Mm. I'm like, why did I get stabbed and only one gladiator came to my aid? It was because that one <laughs> gladiator got released. <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is you're an asshole the first time you did <laughs> Like every other Roman nobleman ever? Yeah. Sure. That's a, that's a generalization. <laughs> well, I'm not from that historical time period, oh, so I wouldn't know. Plenty of uh, media, first-hand evidence. Is it so so written evidence by okay. these people going? I released this person because actually, like, I felt bad for the guy, yeah. and like that's not a shit going. But on. that's not something you see in a lot of games, right? So I didn't think. No, I didn't it's not something you see that. in a lot of games because uh, when you're basing something in like a Roman period, you tend to go for the the brutality of it, right? That's also in its own way very dystopian. Like, yeah, your future is in whether you can please this nobleman to let you go. Yeah, <laughs> like, ah, oh, I'm glad he liked my dance, or I'd be dead. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just. Generally, though, very <laughs> dancing gladiators. Yeah. 
I'm just imagining guys, all of those gladiators dancing around the arena, like tap dancing, you know? guys and dolls. <laughs> but I mean, had I been privy of that information, like thinking about it in a in a sense of historical accuracy, then I, I probably would have thought would have differently. Done it right? better, yeah. yeah, that's quite interesting in the sense that, like, I like games that present choices that don't have clear results. Like, I mean, yeah. the most obvious example of that is. They will remember that in the top right hand corner of your screen. Oh, right? yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Moral grey. Like, well, Love something those. I decided it's gonna scream you over here, but I don't know Love what those. it is. Like, I played the first episode of the Batman Telltale game. Oh, really? Um, and, like, I made a decision, right? Mm. Um, and the decision was to, like, hang up Carmine Falcone onto, like, a piece of rhubarb, like, through his shirt, right? Yeah. At the top of the building, there's a news helicopter, like, flying around and filming it. And just in the top corner, it goes, Gotham will remember this. <laughs> and I was just like, the whole of Gotham? <laughs> Everybody? Oh, bugger. <laughs> I have expected to be like, the Joker will remember this. And it's like, I... where is he? <laughs> but also like, do I care? Like, the Joker can remember whatever he wants. Yeah, exactly. But like, I was just like, the whole of Gotham? <laughs> the whole of Gotham? That's excessive. But like, but, but it makes sense for like a Batman yeah, thing. Especially if... Yeah. It's a public influence. That yeah. probably plays out... I, I, I don't know the game, but it probably plays out in a similar way to... Um, Dishonored, where like yeah. depending on if you're good or bad, the, the the town turns into more of like a cesspool vigilante justice, or like a nice place to live. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the hilarious things uh, I read when it came to Telltale games was uh, they will remember that or whatever that like, pops up. Yeah. Sometimes it's just nothing. Like you just you just yeah, write yeah. it there. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, literally, you're just like, sure, I'll give a, a child an apple or whatever, and it's just like Johnny they will remember, remember this, this, but then you never see them again. Oh, yeah. They probably remembered it. Yeah, yeah. They remembered it. Also, uh, <laughs> rip Telltale games. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The skeleton silence for Telltale. Or one out for Telltale. The skeleton that is the two people who bought Telltale Games licensing. Yeah. Gosh. Mm. I mean, but like in general, not bad games. I no. quite enjoy oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they with the epitome of find a formula and stick to it, right? Like, yeah. every yeah, one exactly. of their games are exactly... Exactly. Well, like, um, what was it? Wolf Among Us was mm. one of the most critically acclaimed But also, of their one games. of the least played. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Very, like, filmic. There was a period style. of time where I think it was on, like, uh, Xbox Gold or whatever mm. it is, and we mm. just that were like... Play this game. <laughs> it's really good, it I promise. It's high, but no one plays it. I re- yeah. I really enjoyed the Telltale games, uh, Poker Nights at the Inventory. They were really fun in terms of, like, it, it, as much as I found it really weird that Telltale games did that, it was those, like, very niche games of having a different cast of all these different properties. Like, you're yeah. sitting in a room with The Heavy and Sam and Max, and then also, like, Ash from Evil, uh, Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Oh, okay. Like, and then you had Claptrap and stuff. You're playing poker with these guys. Yeah, well, well they did uh, Tales from the Borderlands as well. Uh, they did a Game of Thrones. Yeah, but those were all just the... Uh, yeah, they were, like, they were like... Game with the different skins left on Tie-in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what made those two games very unique in my eyes. It's just like, why was this a thing before we went into the Telltale format? They've just not well, found one yet? Uh, mm. A lot of budding game studios often make... You know, games on request for people, right? Or yeah. like, you know, small games. Or stuff that looks like stuff. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, like, 
a lot of that I imagine was done out of a necessity to make money rather than. Well, yeah, you've got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. And I mean, they started really well. I've actually, I really enjoyed those Pokemon like inventory yeah. games, but. Mm. And I enjoyed the loot that you got from playing those as well. Like yes. they integrated that into different games after it. So. Huh. Um, decision making in in a lot of story aspects in games, mm-hmm. like how do you find that mechanic manifest? Do you think it's a really good thing when it comes to like making a decision in those chats? It, it depends what? from game to game. Yeah, do you, think you know. I one thing that I always find hard when it comes to mechanics like that is. We all play a fair bit of role playing games here, like I mean yeah. tabletop role playing games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Is if I make a decision in that, it can have any effect. Yes. Like it'll probably have an effect that I can figure. Yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's usually fairly predictable. Yeah, but it could but, be anything. Yeah, there's there's a level of I don't know what it's gonna be. <laughs> Whereas in games, just for purely practical reasons, yeah. there is a limited subset of things that could happen. I do the yeah. statist- the sarcastic option in well, Fallout. Well, not even yeah. that, but like, there aren't 652 end levels. There's probably at most three. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because producing that many and then actually putting them into yeah. the game, you know, number one, it takes up space. Yeah. <laughs> but also time and money. So Being practical. Yeah, the, the, the classic thing that I've kind of come down on a little bit of games like that is if your game is going to be story-based... I think it's better to tell a good story than to tell a responsive story. Mm. Yes, yes. Like, don't get me wrong, I love the, like, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic Mm. type. You make your decisions, blah, 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 blah. But that still had um, an an element of, like, this is where your story's going. It might change slightly, depending on the choices that you make, but this is where your story's going. Um, And I don't mind a linear... Um, like Uncharted style, you know, you're going from point A to point B and there's some levels in between. Mm. And it, it's interesting because going back to Ghost Recon, mm. um, I find it quite interesting that you can still have character in yes. games like that. Like, yes. my character is a stealthy assassin versus my character is a bad yeah, exactly. guy. But I find the best place to focus on things in games like that is my character <laughs> has like a very on-rail story Yes. But how my character responds to that on-rail story is the thing that I find interesting, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my character's a heroic person and they shall save the people. My character's yeah. a rogue, I'll save them for gold. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It does. It's very generic, but it's good. that to me is the real core. I mean, yeah. like, it's it's a very important part of video games, right? Yeah. Is, is the being able to, like, this is your story, but this is your story within that. Yeah, yeah. It's like how Forging your own path. Yeah, it's like how when you play D and D in some aspects, because you make all of the decisions about your specific character. Whenever I hear people talk about it, it's not like, "Oh, your character." No, it's like we, like we yeah. went and did this, or we, we did went this, did that. I did this. Yeah, because your character is somehow synonymous with you, right? Yeah. yeah. Sure, it's like like a separate entity, and they have their own personality, but it's they're aspect of you allows yeah. you to get into the world based on some facet yeah. of you <laughs> real or imagined that you might like to try on exactly yeah. exactly now like going back to the game aspect of that mm. I find that like the only time that I've said psychology a couple times during this but <laughs> the, in this sense it's you, like whenever you can see the cracks 
in that facade, mm. it sometimes just feels a bit bad, right? Like, yes. if, if you have to save the orphans, yeah. and the heroic characters, I'll save them because they're orphans, and the heroic characters, I'll save them because of money. Yeah. It can feel a bit railroady, and that can feel a bit... Yes, yeah, it I can. I can see the cracks. You know, you've got, you've got two choices. It's just save them, or, like, talk to some bloke and go, we'll do it for some money. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's... That's why going in blind sometimes is what people still do, just so they don't get spoiled of that railroad and see the cracks before they may appear through the second playthrough. I, I mean, yeah. honestly, a lot of times you can spot the cracks the first time, right? You're like, I have noticed that I have 17 options and not one of them is don't save the orphans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, okay, I guess the, the story needs to progress by yeah. doing this thing. Yep. <laughs> this isn't a side mission. This is a story mission. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it just got me thinking. Um, when it comes to like those railroading mechanics and stuff like that, how do you think uh, co-op gets worked into those mechanics? Like, you have to be cooperative in this part of the story and and do this specific thing to do that. Do you think there's yeah, that's a good mechanic? There, or... there are a lot of takes on that mechanic. Even like a lot of games, just folk, they're like make a decision as a group. Mm. Yeah, but at the same time, some games are like you know characters can do different things or stuff like that. Uh, Vermintide characters all have different ways they can solve different problems. Like you know, definitely. Uh, um, I'd like to mention Man of Medan here, uh, which has a yes. really interesting. Um, well, it's not even necessarily cooperative in the in yeah, the um, it's multiplayer. the 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 normal sense. It's multiplayer, but you get to choose right whether or not you share information or don't yeah, share information yeah. it's it's uncooperative cooperative yeah that's that like one horror game that is like horror movie game kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the same people who did until dawn uh, it. Okay. Yeah. um well, i've watched a really interesting playthrough of that where the people playing were on mic with one another but when they separated they weren't on mic with one another yeah so they'd only talk if their characters could talk to Exactly, and I really like that idea, yeah. right? You know, you get super into your character, super into the decisions that they're going to make. Yeah. You know, there's none of this, like, metagaming, yeah. I guess you would call it. You feel alone <laughs> in the dark, like that series? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's it's a really cool concept, and I love that they, they do that for that game, right? Because it's the perfect place to do it as Oh, well. yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like you could almost like point to genres and point to how much story they are going to have in them. Mm. Like horror Definitely. games are very story focused. Yes. MMOs, no story at all. Yeah, or like, um, what some action games you can either go, there's so much story here, or there's none at all, <laughs> depending on how, like, which side of arcade they're on, you know? The, the thing I find interesting when mentioning the amount of story that's in specific games is I found that sometimes uh, the story uh, really played into horror games in the aspect of making you more terrified of something. Because there might be a semblance of more story, even if that story is missing pieces, you feel more scared of it. Definitely. Until Dawn did that, that the best, right? Yeah. You know, the little bits and bobs that you could find around that give you, like, tiny snippets of, like what like a wendigo might be i mean or like you might find a scrap of paper that's yeah. like covered in bits and pieces bits of myth it's yeah. the classic horror thing which is the scariest like the least scary point of a horror movie is right after they show you whatever's chasing the people right yeah because before that moment it's like 
anything, and it's probably the thing you'd least like it to be. But the second you see it, you're like, oh, it's that. Oh, okay. Being afraid of the unknown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Wendigos in that game are pretty ordinary looking. Like, they're a little scary, but once you get to the end where you're, like, staring at them forever, you're like, oh, they're just naked dudes. Yeah. But prior to that point, you're like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah, like, something's grabbing them. Is it a bear? Is it a person? It's neither of those. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that did uh, that whole, like, not knowing what it might be really well was Prey, actually. We have talked about it before. Yeah. Um, Because you didn't know which object would be the monster. So, like... Mimics. Yeah, mimics. (laughs) Um, That's what makes them uniquely scary, even if you know what they will then transform into, Mm. is because you don't... You have that mystery aspect that you have to uncover. And you never expect mimics. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I pissed myself so many you, times. Let me tell you my favorite story I have ever had in D&D. Okay, go. I, I was going <laughs> into a dungeon, and I was, like, reasonably scared of this dungeon. So I think I, like, broke down the first door, right? I was like, okay, this seems like a much better way of handling doors. Second door, <laughs> I, I go up to it, and I'm like, I hit the door. DM. The door hits you back. What? Because it was a mimic. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. It's like, oh, it hits you back. Wait, what? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I was DM for some players, right? And they were in a dungeon. And they wanted to take a long rest. <laughs> yeah. Right, in the middle of this dungeon. You're like, uh-huh. They made it, like, maybe 100 meters in. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they were like, okay, so we're just going to, like, set up camp in this, like, barracks, blah, 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 blah. I was not having that. Yeah. Um, there were there were beds in that room. The beds were mimics. <laughs> it's like the Venus flytrap of mimics. Yes. Yeah, so like, but not all of them were mimics. That oh was, no! That was the best part, right? So I had, I had a party of like, I think it was six. Um, three of the beds were mimics. My worst experience with a mimic, actually was the, the OG mimic moment in Dark Souls that, like, no oh. one had told me about. I, I went up, I didn't expect them, I opened the chest, <laughs> the chest bit my hand off. No, please! The best thing, mimics in Dark Souls 3. And they were, like, these lanky karate boys. <laughs> like, like, giant stickmen with chests on That's terrifying! kicks at you, and you're like, ah, ah, what? Is this a mimic? <laughs> Every time I think of Mimics now, I just think of uh, Prisoner Ask Man, that book that just like oh, tries to eat yeah. someone. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. The monstrous book of monsters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That monstrous book must have been a mimic of that book. <laughs> no, it was a monster. Oh. <laughs> mimicking monster. <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. Are we mimicking mechanics now? No. <laughs> I don't think we could mimic mechanics. I mean, like... I did a pretty good job mimicking Hunger and Thirst mechanics. <laughs> oh, no. No, they're mimicking us. <laughs> Hunger and Thirst mechanics drive me nuts in some games. Like, so yeah. nuts. Like, um, The Long Dark, where you have the, the Hunger and Thirst mechanics that just immediately disappear. Like, mm. I, I stepped outside, and all of my thirst and hunger went down. So I stepped back <laughs> inside, because it was like a bugger. It's like the raft as well. Right, yeah. yeah. One thing that I've noticed is a lot of games have started to pick up what I like to call time-wasting mechanics. Mm. I think a great example that I've never played the game, but I suspect you two have, um, Breath of the Wild. 
Yes. Like the fact that everything breaks in that game entirely exists to waste your time. Yeah, it bothers me too. Yeah. Ancient technology, am I right? <laughs> Especially because like there's a limited amount of what you can actually pick mm-hmm. up, really and truly, unless you just like like you have to use your stuff to kill stuff to get more stuff. Yeah, that is like the literal time waster mechanic. That bothers me. Even in games like Minecraft where it's like a lot of the game is about getting resources, but it's still like, why did my diamond pick have to break? Mm. Yeah, that does bother me too. Um, but, like, considering how, like, good enchanting has got and that sort of thing, you yeah. can have picks, sure, like, sure. a diamond pick last you for ages and ages and but ages. But why is that not the standard? Like, you've played Terraria, yeah. I imagine, or at least seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I find it really interesting that almost the, um, the whole constant aspect of having to replenish your resources is kind of a game for Minecraft outside of the architecture. I mean, I mean it is. It is. Yeah. It's circular so that you keep playing. Yeah. I mean, do you guys know the concept of a core gameplay loop? Uh, yes. Yeah. The, how you just, like, that's the, the main mechanic that keeps you coming back and keep playing and going well, around and around. it's not even that. It's just, like, the best way I've heard it pitched to me is if the player doesn't know what to do in a given moment... What is the thing that they will try and do? So Minecraft yeah, is okay. go and gather materials, right? Yeah. And part it's of the reason dig why... dig a hole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's mine. And then maybe craft. Yeah. <laughs> it seems reasonable. Yeah, but <laughs> a lot of games introduce that mechanic. Not only as a time waste, because that's a little bit mean to mm. say. It's often just to provide a very arbitrary core gameplay loop. Yeah. Mm. It's like, look, if you don't know what to do, go find a new weapon, go craft a new thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. Thing, yeah. Definitely. That's uh, what makes me wonder whether or not playing creative in Minecraft defeats some of the loop of that game, and whether or not that's like a, a positive or a oh, negative. Oh, it absolutely does, because playing creative is literally just there for building, mm. right? You lose out on More than pretty much every mechanic other than building by playing creative. Except redstone. Yeah. Yeah, except like creative redstone. Still on Minecraft. Yeah. I've played a couple of like hardcore mod packs. Yeah. Right. So that's until like because we started playing Creative Minecraft recently. Yeah. Until then, that's the only way I played Minecraft. Yeah. 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 So like, and when I say hardcore mod packs, I mean like hardcore mod packs. They add in extra survival mechanics, right? So so normal hunger is there, right? But then there are like food mods and cooking mods that add in better food to be eating and then there's a mod for like nutrition and so when you've got all the best nutrition like you can jump better and run faster it's like if you only eat meat your like health is 20 instead of 100 yeah exactly Hmm. exactly like so it, it really focuses you on like the farming and gathering on on that aspect of it i've dealt with temperature in minecraft you know being I've only ever played vanilla. Cold, so then you get thirsty or like, you know. And people quite like those mechanics. Like they're there are, good mechanics. There are mods for that in just about every game. Like there's survival. Style, yeah, exactly. Survival, exactly. Exactly. Um, and they're good mechanics because it actually makes you focus on aspects of the game that can get left to the wayside. You know, you set up your initial wheat farm and then you've got bread for days and that's all you really need. I think that goes back to the sorry the core gameplay loop thing where it like brings more of the game into the core gameplay loop yeah. which it's kind of like 
I almost want to say like an almost lazier way of playing the game because you don't have to think about what you want to do. It's just like this is what I need to do. So da, 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 yeah, da. yeah, yeah. But like that's fine. needing to do things often can be more fun than yeah. I, I guess I'll build a farm. Yeah, it's like games yeah, are fun like, than playing oh, a painting. Like my character's getting hungry. I guess I should find some food. <laughs> like that feels like very apathetic, you know. But when you have to do it so that you're not dying and dying and dying you know yeah it's great one of the most interesting loops that i saw where you're having to incorporate all that was actually the the russian um survival games like uh uh, metro 2033 and Mm. stalker um call of privy where you kind of had to integrate having to like manage your bullets and your oxygen and you know not forget to change out your filter and didn't have all of the aspects but when you pumped it up really high on the um the difficulty scale you went from playing this really rapid first person shooting craze to being this very methodical slow paced survival aspect where you're like running low on resources all the time and having to manage how many bullets you have in the chamber and who you sneak around hmm counterpoint to that Skyrim and Fallout mm. are both games that are far less down that path, but still have that kind of like, you know, in Fallout you're scavenging for bullets, in yeah. Skyrim you're crafting better armor and weapons, right? The funnest time I think I've ever had in those two games is, in Fallout I always give myself 99 of every ammo, like yeah. infinite of every ammo. Yeah. In Skyrim, the funnest time I've ever had well, that, lightsaber mod. Yeah. Because you can just one shot everything because you have a lightsaber. That's right? fun. Yeah. So both of those games I found were vastly improved by not making us not cheating, making yourself OP, but, but just like taking game away breaking changes. Not even game breaking, but just like focusing the core gameplay loop tighter on one specific thing. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. I just want to play the combat. I don't want to fuck around scavenging for balls. I don't want to. Screw around trying to make better armor. Skinny lightsaber yeah. or infinite assault. I guess. I guess. Um. Uh, yeah. A lot of those gameplay loops can be like very broad mm-hmm. in open world games. Would uh, Breath of the Wild benefit from having the ability to not have to spend several dozen hours trying to find a new sword? Like, yes, keep the keep all the other mechanics, but not having to constantly scavenge your weapons. Do you think it would be beneficial or worse to have that stat increasing weapons you just consistently? Use? I think it would be beneficial. Suits. I think it would be beneficial beneficial because then you you know you like you get a sword or you know a, a, a spear some kind of weapon that you really enjoy playing and suits your gameplay style yeah. right and then you can run with it until you know you get to a level of gameplay where it just doesn't quite cut it pun intended <laughs> um <laughs> you know and then you go and find a better sword and then eventually get back up to like master sword level and like then you fight because even the master sword had like a cooldown yeah which it's... was ridiculous for that game mm-hmm. it's uh it's like also then you can personalize your character to feel like you're making some sort of progression as well because it's like oh this is my armor set and this is my sword and i'm getting exactly. a better sword and... exactly or you will yeah you positive have... rather than negative well, the armors like didn't break. No, they but... didn't have a durability. No. You get the specific armor for a specific area, and you roll with it, right? Yes, Jackson. <laughs> I just got a really interesting idea. So, uh, <laughs> come with me on this journey. Oh boy! 
Ooh. Everyone hold on to your hats. Do I need dice? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Disappointing. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played games that have a mechanic like this. It's quite common in a, a lot of games. Which is, you build a perk set mm. for your character, mm. right? Like, you, you know, my character can see in the dark, my character does this, my character does that. And they all cost yeah. points. Yeah. And then inversely, you can apply, like, negatives, right? Like, oh, my character is lame, so I get points back, right? Yes. What if games as a whole, even, were to introduce that feature into the mechanic set? Like, I could turn on infinite bullets for Fallout, but I have to sacrifice something else somewhere else. Like, so you, maybe you can't run as quickly. Yeah, or, or maybe. Like, like, I was thinking more like a whole broad mechanic, like you can't yeah, yeah, get yeah. legendary weapons anymore, for example. Oh, yeah, wow. So, like, the idea is you can I basically... I like the idea of that. You can customise your game to focus on, on whatever part of that core gameplay loop, loop you like the most. Like, you turn off um, durability in um, Zelda, right. but yeah. maybe you gain, like, some other part of the game just disappears. But, like, mm. have them related in some way, like... Yeah, okay. The, I, don't, I don't know enough of it, Breath of the Wild, to be honest with you, but some mechanic yeah, yeah, that yeah. works with that... Yeah, with yeah, the like, like no durability, but maybe some of the weapons are blocked away. So, like, challenging modifiers, like mutations, that, like, allow you to... I mean, we saw them in Halo, like, making them so, yeah. you, you know, instant kills, but, like, instant kills against you to some degree. But like, the, the primary thing I would be looking for in mechanics like this is... The goal of them wouldn't be to make the game easier or harder, but just tailor it better to suit your preference. Yeah, like a, your playstyle. Yeah, like a Dark Souls where you don't ever lose souls from dying, but you only get souls the first time you kill an enemy. That would be really right? interesting. Oh, okay. It's essentially a very similar game, but it's more about getting progression rather than like the, the, the roguelike elements of it. Yeah. yeah. And having to grind outside of... Yeah. like Yeah. Which, again... I love that grinding element of Dark Souls and I wouldn't turn that system on. But I like the idea of it being there for certain people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that comes back to one of the things I find really kind of funny about games is you have some people who complain about mechanics uh, that they don't interact with. So like having the ability to have an easy mode in Dark Souls, like you hear in the, in sometimes in gaming media, like people being outraged at that. I'm like, well, I mean, you want to play a game your way so you can experience it. Maybe you don't have as many hours. I mean, I've never played a Souls game, but if I did play it, I'd play it on easy <laughs> because I know that I'm not good at those kinds of games. Counterpoint to that though, I dislike difficulty systems in games. Okay. Not from a get good perspective, but because I feel like they often compromise the integrity of the game. Yeah, like, okay. the game is designed with this level of flow curve in mind, this level of, you know, progression over time. I feel like oftentimes having an easy or hard mode kind of skews that too far in one direction or the other. Best example I found of that specific instance was when I played Dawn of War and you, depending on your difficulty setting, depended on how much health the enemies' units had. So you'd yeah. have these, like, you'd have guardsmen, um, like, just humans going up against these giant titans and they'd just knock them over easy because I was on easy mode. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the best examples. Is mo like, a lot of games' hard mode is the enemy has twice as much health and twice as much damage, and that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas it doesn't have the, the dynamic uh, difficulty curve like Resident Evil 4 did, where it all changes based on how well you're doing. But on the flip side, to go back to the easy mode, yeah. is sometimes the easy mode is 25%, like 75% less damage, right? Yeah. So in a game that's supposed to be a like, twitch dodge skill, you can just stand there and hit them. 
Yeah. And it's a very boring game a lot of the time. Okay, that does sound quite boring. Yeah. But, like, like I know that I'm not good at those kind yeah, of games yeah. either, though. Mm. So I feel like that's that's kind of much more my style. But, like, I would I would give, like, regular a go. Sure. But, like, <laughs> I, I wonder at that point, is it, like... You're essentially making that game kind of worse in a way, right? Mm. <laughs> so... Is it better to just find, like, a different game almost? I mean, like, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, that touches on hidden mechanics in games that sometimes we don't see a lot of the time. Because yeah, there, there so. was a, there's a hidden mechanic in, as I said, Resident 4, where the difficulty changed depending on how well you were doing. Oh, I hate that mechanic. Do you hate that mechanic? Oh, yeah, so much. Okay. Because, like, I don't want to, like... I don't want to randomly just, like... Oh, uh, you know, my little brother was in the room and, like, I wasn't paying attention, I died five times, and then I get back to playing the game, and it's five times as easy. Okay. Like, I don't like games playing with sliders, depending on your... It shouldn't experience. be dynamic. Yeah. Mm. Or at the very least, it should be, like, very limited. Uh, well, because mm. even then, like, you like have a, a, a newer player come in right they're not necessarily that great at whatever the game is they die a bunch of times it gets easier but that requires them to fail a bunch of times and that doesn't necessarily feel great mm. on, on, the, on, on an interesting note on that is there's the concept in games called positive and negative feedback loops yeah which is basically their intent of them is to return you to the mean experience right yeah the idea is if you're losing a lot they buff you if you're winning a lot they nerf you yeah right and they're oftentimes very good but i find them better if they don't happen reactively but rather are coded into the game hmm. like yeah, maybe yeah. like like you've made it this far so we're gonna like knock you down a couple pegs yeah yeah or like you know you lose less souls every time you die or something like mm. yeah um they have some of those mechanics in a lot of different games I play where they might like drop rations in a specific game if you happen to be like if it's been a long time before you saw something in a roguelike generator they'll drop a, a heal room for example yeah um, or you know they might drop a boss room or just like something you're not prepared mm. to deal with because it hasn't been in the formula in the uh, last few games for that it's sort of come about recently is um, Noita I think is how oh, you say yes. it. Yeah. N O I T A. So what's Noita? Uh, it's a two D. Uh, right. Yeah, it's a roguelike, um, where like you're like a witch lady man person thing, <laughs> um, and you've got like a, a like a magic wand gun type thing, right? This sounds awesome. You go like all through it, uh, through the different levels. You the, pick up ones on the way, kill enemies, the, collect gold. The, the game itself is like um, Splunky almost. Like it's like a two D side scrolling underground. Type. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the interesting part about it though is that each uh, pixel. Pixel density. Pixel. <laughs> is it a pixel? Sure. Sure. What was it called then? Uh, <laughs> Pixels fine. Okay. Vertex. It's that feels very specific. <laughs> well, it's just like it's not a pixel. It's like a like a like a block almost, right? Yeah, right. Each each I'm being block very being <laughs> rendered in the game. <laughs> like it has its own parameters and existence and how did you two physics and interactions and 
Did you guys both play Splunky? I think you watched the hell out of it. No. You never played it? Oh, okay. I um I found that game had an interesting loop in the sense that you had to continue down into more difficult levels. But uh, I sucked at it, so I didn't find it nearly as enjoyable, and I didn't find there was a way to progress further, mm. and unless I'm getting good, which just doesn't really sit well with me in some of those games. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the, like, there's a game that I love called Enter the Gungeon. Uh... It's so fun <laughs> in terms of how funny it is, but the interesting thing about that is it's ostensibly a roguelite game, which is to say you earn currency that you come up back with your death, you can unlock new guns with it, I think there's something to do with unlocking new elevators, but I've literally never done it. But the interesting thing about the game is, while it's rogue-lite in the sense that there's progression mechanics and you can unlock new guns, none of them really add to your strength, and I oftentimes don't unlock new guns because they're like novelty guns. So while it feels like I'm progressing, the reason I'm progressing is because I'm actually just getting better at that game, but there's this side unlock mechanic which feels like I'm progressing regularly as well. A bit like the side unlock mechanic in Risk of Rain, where you might be playing the same character and able to unlock more characters, but you don't have that, like, just straight... There was never a power level game. Yeah. yeah. So while you still have that feeling of, hey, I'm progressing, hey, I'm making progress, so you don't feel bad about not making any progress, the progress that you're actually making is skill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's okay. just hidden behind an extra layer of unlocks that you can get to well, feel like you're progressing. It's just some, yeah, exactly. It's just something to fill your time while you're actually just getting better. Yeah. Hmm. Any uh, other mechanics uh, that we wanted to talk about? Oh, uh, not that I can day. think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that I can think of. Jackson, however. <laughs> I mean, I, I just generally play more mechanic-focused games than story-based yeah. games, so yeah. I have a lot to talk about in that area, but... Yeah, I like to play a lot of, of, of both, but sometimes it could just be a bit hard to figure out, like, a, like to see unique new mechanics. I feel like sometimes the mechanics do repeat themselves across formulas because they're kind of tried and true and done before, right? Yeah. So it's like sometimes I'll really enjoy this mechanic and then I'll seek out a game mm. after that that fills that same mechanic. Well, when you've got, like, genres now that are like, this is a survival game... <laughs> This is a roguelike game, which I think This is a, like a, a puzzle game with this mechanic, or like. Okay. <laughs> brain, big brain moment. Jackson. <laughs> so, my professor at university loved this concept of um, designing game mechanics like an onion, right? But, so, they're like lame. Yes, I, yeah. I understand. All I can <laughs> see in my head is Shrek. <laughs> and so what he said, something that always made an interesting game, is if you mix and match the layers. Huh. So the best example of, there's two great examples of that, right? One is Dark Souls. Dark Souls is a first player, uh, third person action game that's also a roguelite. Yeah. Mm. Um, Portal is a first person shooting game that's actually a puzzle game. Yeah. yeah, and this concept of basically taking polar opposites. Well, taking not even polar opposites, but just the core mechanics of one game and mixing it with the gameplay or overarching mechanics of another game and squashing those together makes really interesting games. Makes and good onions. Like good games as well. You know, yeah, the two yeah. described there are gen- generally considered some of the best yeah, yeah. ever made. Now, I'm sure yeah. you know in the same way that you know Betty Bot's ever flavored beans has really good flavors and really. Awful flavors. Yes, I'm so sure just mixing two flavors together doesn't make a good game. Well, no, of course not. But like, uh, when you really think of it, the ones that stick by obviously are the ones that are good <laughs> because mm. they're memorable, right? Yeah, you know they do something 
new and interesting. I really like that concept, actually. It's I just... mean, Slay the Spire is a card game mixed with a roguelike. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you have um, Dark Souls. Uh, sorry, um, Darkest Dungeon is a RPG game mixed with um, roguelite elements. and. <laughs> you notice know, a lot of games are X mixed with roguelike. It's, <laughs> it's probably one of the biggest drivers. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of come back a bit as we've gone by with like wanting to go back to the arcade games of, of old going like, oh, let's have that ramping crazy difficulty, but mm. also have like a bit of an on-ramp with that quick difficulty. I was talking to my dad to today, actually, and he was like, have you thought about opening up like an arcade? Like, <laughs> just, just straight up opening up an arcade. Yeah. My mother once asked me that same thing. She's like, and I went, a game shop? I'm like probably won't work <laughs> they're very expensive actually that, like, that's I've, exactly what i said <laughs> i looked at the prices like you try to look get arcade machines nowadays it's like two I or three grand an arcade don't suspect that that's the main concern but no, no, no. <laughs> i don't think i don't think we're willing to spend that much on but arcade games I, nowadays. I just would like to point out that if i gave you a sizable collection of arcade games i don't think you'd be able to make the most amount of money on them. yeah no no I, like i went People aren't going to play them. Yeah. The only reason why there are like arcades in major cities in Australia is because they're in major cities. Yeah, there's one novelty. You know, like there's a bunch of people that have a birthday every day of the year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the only reason why people go. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it makes me wonder. Um, I like it a lot. <laughs> like birthday businesses, businesses that are more successful based on the proximity of birthdays per day. Laser tag. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Arcade. Ice skating. Yeah, ice yeah. ice skating. Depending on where you are, because we do yeah. have a bunch of hockey teams. Yeah. Um. One of the things I find uh, interesting is discussing the longevity of arcade games. Now that we have games that are competitive with that, I know yeah, I could walk yeah, into Steam sale and and spend two dollars <laughs> and then just have a game that's forty hours long, versus playing, you know. Two dollars down oh, at the arcade. Yeah, this is playing like like Donkey Kong, Pong, or, or yeah, yeah, Metal Slug. Even like yeah. some, I can get a long way in Metal Slug, but I could buy a game for that much. I'm gonna start with talking about arcade games. Yeah. Um. So one of the things I love about arcade games, and the reason I actually quite love going to the arcade, is the games I like at the arcade is you can't play in real life, like rhythm games, um, dancing games. Just shooting games, things that you'd be needing. Rhythm need games a have come to consoles on PC. Yeah, I want to buy a bloody drum kit, right? Drum yeah, and, that, and that's reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pre-set up. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, like I think arcades, arcades live on novelty, right? Or like yeah. having the materials. Yeah. But the point you raised at the second bit, which is about like money per enjoyment hour, is such an interesting factor. Yeah. Because realistically, we're so inefficient with that. <laughs> right? Like, I'll buy a $30 little game, play it for two hours, when I could play, like, a buy a five-year-old $5 game that I play for 30 hours. Mad Max was a really good example of that um, sandbox, like, generic sandbox game that had so many hours in it, but whether or not you actually got enjoyment out of those hours, nah. Yeah, it's like every time I go to the movie and pay 40 bucks for a two-hour movie, it makes me want Die. I played yeah. the first hour of Mad Max and like took it back. Yeah, because I, I just went. This is not fun. It's yeah. a place full of sand and cars, and that's basically the entire game. Yeah, it's a little bit like how I found Hover to be not worth the money at all because it was basically just Jet Set Radio for twenty two hours, mm. which is great, but it just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
So it's it's interesting that money, uh, money and um, how much is in that game based on that money comes about in these days. Like Ubisoft games are very much about trying to make the person feel like their money was well spent. Even if there's so much on this map to do that you just will not touch. Yeah, it's a smorgasbord <laughs> approach. Yeah. To... yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's like we've got something for everyone. Yeah. It's like if you buy this game, you'll game. like something, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas like, and think... like, that doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, because yeah. then the overall experience tends to be good. I have, you know, like parts of the game that I like less and I have parts of the game that I like more. And, and then you'll seek out parts of the game you enjoy. Whereas I, I, Precisely. I'm quite the opposite. I quite like games that are very like... Hyper-focused? Yeah, it's like yeah. here is this one chicken sandwich that someone spent 300 hours crafting on. I, I enjoy chicken sandwich. <laughs> what I had for lunch today. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy both based on how much uh, mental gymnastics I've done through the day, actually. Oh, sure. um, and I find that it's really nice that we have both sides of that chicken sandwich, actually. Some of the parts that people have put together and some of the parts that have spent years crafting. Both slices of bread. Yes. <laughs> one brown, one white. <laughs> also, just... Oh, no. yeah. I'm totally hungry yeah. now. <laughs> On a like a just to like to round it out, I think yeah. the mechanics I like the most in games is anything that allows you to create a character build. Yes. Like if I can make if I can get an idea for a character and try and implement it in a game, I love that game. Right? Like mm. everything yeah. from Skyrim to WoW to Shadow mm. Run, it's like I want to play an illusionist. I want to play this. I want to play that. And I think that's the general consensus mm-hmm. from most gamers. Let me come up with a character concept. Let me try it. Yeah. If it doesn't work, I still had fun. Yeah. You know? And then if it does work, you then bleed into that story so much more and you get dragged into this world and that suspension yeah. of disbelief becomes yeah. so much yeah. easier. That's it's why like a, we get dragged into books. It's level of ownership over it. Yeah, My immersion. <laughs> it's why uh, you know so many people enjoy video games is is that medium over others because they can personalize it to their own specific interests, even if it happens to be a general genre. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Station Five podcast. We're going to be posting regularly. We hope to see you all with us. Thanks for listening.